Hi, I'm Johnny Hamilton, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Future Focus Fridays podcast series. In this episode, I'm talking with Greg Till, the Chief People Officer at Providence. He shares his insights and personal stories about taking risks at work, both big and small, as well as how to bounce back when you make a mistake. Let's drop into our conversation and hear some of his thoughts into the future of work. As the Chief People Officer for Providence, you're responsible for developing all the caregivers in our workforce. We know that learning can be challenging and that truly effective learning often requires getting out of your comfort zone. Can you share when you felt out of your comfort zone when learning something new? How did you work through it? Well, as I'm sure folks can imagine, Johnny, I've been out of my comfort zone a lot, and I'm sure all of you have too. Whether it's pushing back on a leader or challenging the status quo or fighting for what's right, even when you have a contrary perspective, um, taking a risk by trying something that hasn't been tried before or just taking on a new assignment, um, folks get out of their comfort zones a lot. And for me, that's what has contributed to my growth and um, where I've seen accelerated growth in other folks too. So specifically, one of my biggest risks was coming to Providence. I had no healthcare experience. I had never worked at a nonprofit before. I'd never even been to Seattle or really the Pacific Northwest, frankly, but it ended up being one of the best choices I ever made. Um, I made that choice based on my commitment to the mission, how I felt the values were aligned with my own. And to me, as long as you keep those things at the heart of what you're doing and at the heart of the risks that you take, um, the, the opportunities for advancement, promotion, uh, self-development, and frankly, even some self-renewal um, usually come with that. So. That's my advice to folks is stay true to your mission, make sure what you're doing is aligned with your values, and then the risks typically pay off. Tell me a little bit more about that. In your career, you moved up in your organization. I would guess that you've encountered some situations where there were small risks and big risks. Can you speak to how you navigated through them? Yeah, I mean, I think we take we, we should be taking small risks every day. You know, I, I tell my team that um, a lot of whom have experience in consulting or in other organizations. You know, when you first come into an organization, you feel like a tiger. You want to be um, assertive and go after your goals and take risks and challenge the status quo so that you can make major changes. And then sometimes after you spend a long time in a specific position or within a specific organization, um, you become a little bit more timid. You don't um, take as many risks. Um, and so I remind folks to try to live their jobs um, like they're in the first month or two or three of their jobs and remain tigers and don't become house cats. That means, you know, challenging folks when you think you have a great idea um, and some people tell you that they've tried it before and it hasn't worked. Or when, um, you know, you're in a group of your peers and you have a different kind of perspective. For me, those small risks are things that we should be doing every day to continue to push ourselves into the future. It's not easy. Easy, You know, people are more motivated to kind of stick where they're at and protect versus um, get gains by taking taking small or big risks. And so every day we can take small risks. Um, on the bigger ones, you know, I think we got to make sure that those are aligned with our mission and our values, as I said earlier. But I think it also um, has helped me at least to do um, some pros and cons on, you know, what I think is going to be gained by taking those big risks and frankly, testing it with others. Um, I don't have all the answers and neither does anybody. And so testing it with someone who I think might be a naysayer, testing that risk with somebody who might be impacted by the risk that we take and getting multiple voices involved is a way to kind of in a way de-risk your risks because 
um, you know, that, that diversity of thought really helps to make sure it's a calculated risk if it's a big one and it might have some big consequences. And so I'd advise folks take small risks every single day and continue to be sharp, sharpen that saw, um, as Jim Collins liked to say. But um, with bigger risks, make sure you're getting some other people's perspectives to ensure you're really appropriately weighing the pros and cons of any decision that you're making. That's some really great advice, especially comparing how you work small risks and big risks and the difference between the two and when to involve others. But inherently, when you're dealing with something that's risky, you're bound to make mistakes. When you do make a mistake, how do you bounce back? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, I mean, just be super transparent and vulnerable. I made lots and lots of mistakes. And frankly, a lot of them have come because I've tried to take lots of risks. Um, but I kind of live by a couple of um, axioms, I guess. I mean, the first one is I try not to repeat the same kinds of mistakes with the same kinds of circumstances. And so um, number one is make sure that you're learning from those mistakes. Um, I once was in a conversation with a CEO of a different company, probably 15 years ago now, and he was telling me a story about one of the times where one of his direct reports as a CEO made a decision that cost the company $5 million, and the employee immediately offered their resignation. And the CEO refused it, saying, why would I accept your resignation? I just paid $5 million to train you. And that story has stuck with me for the last 15 years because it reminds me that every time I make a mistake, I got to figure out what did I learn from that situation? What did I learn from the people? What were the criteria that I should have analyzed that I didn't? Would it, would it have been preventable? And so um, I've tried to apply that as a, as a learning experience versus kind of a mistake that, um, that stays a mistake. I mean, the mistake that I've, I've repeated more than once, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it, is not involving all the right key players in a decision or a key project. I mentioned that in the last question. Sometimes it seems like it might be easier to do it faster or easier or faster to do it yourself or with a smaller team, but it comes back to bite you every single time. Um, there's a saying in change management lingo that says that people don't buy into what they don't help to create. And it's really true. I mean, every time that we've tried to cut corners and go faster or make a decision with less people or with less stakeholders than we really need, um, it takes more time on the back end to implement that. It doesn't work out the way that you plan or um, it otherwise, you know, costs more in some way than you than you plan. And so that's, that's the mistake, especially early in my career um, and even today every once in a while that I make is not really thinking through who all the right people are that we really need to make the decision and the implementation successful. And so um, I try to learn from that by involving the right people from the very start and thinking the project all the way through. It can't just be getting the right people involved early to make the decision. It also has to be getting the right people involved early for implementation, measurement and success and sustainability on the back end. Um, because sometimes people, the people, the right people to make the decision are the different than the right people that are going to have to implement that decision or sustain it long-term, especially for bigger projects. Those are some really key insights. I've heard in Silicon Valley, the idea of failing fast is the credo of quote, we know what we're doing and we're doing great because we're failing all the time. So what you're talking about is that if you repeat the same mistakes, that's not a good thing. You want to always be improving and that mistakes are not bad, especially when there are opportunities to reflect and to improve yourself. So how can this approach of failing fast be applied at Providence? 
I think uh, actually failing fast, you know, absolutely applies when you're taking measured risks. And, you know, another story from kind of my previous organization and our current organization is I, I do feel like we apply the same level of risk to a lot of our decisions. My last organization um, made satellites. And so we applied more than a Six Sigma level of risk to every decision that went into making that satellite. Because once you shoot it up, it's got to last 30 to 50 years and you can't get it back down. And so the level of risk um, that you need on the precision um, decision-making that goes into creating a satellite isn't the same level of decision-making or risk that applies to our day-to-day -day human resources decisions or our people management decisions. The same thing here. When I um, In my first couple of months here, I was in a meeting where someone said, well, we can't do that. We need to take a safety pause. And I said, well, what's a safety pause? And they said, well, when a patient's on the operating table, we take a safety pause in order to make sure that we're making the right decision. And it reminded me of that satellite example. Um, while I like the idea of taking a pause to make sure that we have the right people involved in the decision process or that we're trying to de-risk the situation, the level of risk that I have on an HR project is a lot different than the level of risk when there's a patient on the operating table. And so I'd say absolutely on small risks or medium risks or projects that we want to pilot, we absolutely should fail fast, which means that we're really just testing things out um, to see if our idea might work in the real world. We've done that several times with even bigger projects um, in HR, like when we're rolling right now out for uh, applying virtual caregiver relations. We piloted that, see if we could make it fail. Um, luckily, we were successful, but we learned some, some lessons of, of failure along the way. So I'd say it does apply. Um, humans, like I said earlier, we're, are wired to protect what we have versus taking risks or, for the organization. But in our areas where there are some real risks to the organization or to, or to the people involved, where we do need to take more considered approaches, um, failing fast and taking risks really doesn't have super big consequences. And it, creates some, it can create some really big wins for us uh, as well. And so I would say, yes, on, this, on decisions that aren't going to have massive risk, we should try to fail fast versus tripping us over ourselves and failing over a long period of time where, frankly, the risk is going to be a lot bigger. I love that nuance. As an aside to that, what happens if we decide to play it safe and not change and not innovate because we're afraid of making a mistake? What are your thoughts on how risky of an avenue that is, of not doing anything when the world around you is changing? Well, I mean, I can tell in how you're leading the question that you're absolutely aligned with where I am, which is we tend to underestimate the risk of doing nothing. Um, and there is a risk of doing nothing. You stagnate. You don't provide great service to your caregivers. You don't partner in the right ways. You don't innovate to um, contribute to the innovation, vision, innovative vision our organization has. And while I know that change is difficult and it takes extra work, um, it really is the environment that we're in right now. And I mean, frankly, the one thing I thought, there's many things I love about healthcare, but one of the things I love the most is that the work that we do, even in an administrative function like HR, directly impacts the care that we're providing in our communities and the innovation that we provide to folks, whether it's mental health or real physical health care that's going on. And so not taking a risk to provide um, the best service or the best partnership or the best outcomes, especially to our clinical caregivers, really does um, pre present risk um, at the bedside. So thank you so much for allowing me to get that point out, which is there actually is risk in doing nothing. Um, and sometimes in our organization, big risk. 
So um, lean in, make sure, you're, make sure you know how you're gonna measure the outcomes of your, of your uh, areas that you're gonna fail fast at so that in a couple of weeks or in a month, you know whether you're failing or you're successful and you don't continue to fail, but definitely do take those risks. Talking about not only taking the risks, but also learning from them and using that as a catalyst. When you're on the job and actually doing some of these new things, you have to unlearn some of the stuff you thought you already knew. Greg, can you think of a time in which you needed to unlearn something in order to move forward in your career? Yeah, that's probably one of the hardest things, but I think the first, the, the, the best example, at least in my own career, was in my first management job, where I had to learn that the role of management and leadership was different from being an even better individual contributor. Um, Marshall Goldsmith wrote this great book that I like. It's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. It's based on this concept. You know, every job requires something new, whether it's a promotion, a lateral move, or even a developmental assignment where you're moving back so that you can move forward in the future. Um, it requires something different. It's not just about doing what you're currently doing even better. And so um, for me, you got to continue to unlearn what you learned in the past or think about new roles, new assignments, new projects in different ways than you currently do. You know, one of the ways that I've done this um, past my first frontline leadership job is by um, employing mentors that are early in their career than I am. Um, some people call these reverse mentors. I don't call them that. I just call them mentors um, for myself where I can exchange uh, my gift of, you know, over 25 years now in leadership or different HR roles um, in mentoring them. But in return, I also ask them to mentor me. Um, what are the new things that are out there that we should be paying attention to as an HR leadership team? What are some things that might have worked 10 years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago that you think might not work today? What are the expectations of the new workforce that's entering versus the workforce that's been here for 20 or 25 years, which is equally important, but sometimes has different expectations for um, what excites or inspires them. And so that's one of the ways that I try to unlearn um, what I used to do in the past that might have worked 10 or 15 years ago or in a different type of role um, that might not work in today's environment or in the role that I'm, that I'm at right now. Um, I'm not sure if people have seen it, but there's this thing called the Johari window where it really asks you to lean into the areas that you might not be able to see yourself about how you're performing um, or how you might need to develop. And the only way that you can lean into areas that you don't know that you don't know is to ask others. And so whether that's your peers, whether it's your leader, or whether it's folks that are earlier in their career than you, it's great to have folks around um, and be vulnerable to either unlearn something that you think that you know or to learn something new. I think that for most people, this is more relevant now than at any point in their careers. The world is at an inflection point where according to research groups like McKenzie, Gartner, the World Economic Forum, a shift is happening in the global workforce. People need to upskill and reskill themselves in the post-pandemic business landscape so that they can get new capabilities in their work. Greg, do you have any advice for anyone whose role will be changing? How do we best prepare for that? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. The pandemic um, silver lining is that it's really unstuck a lot of our thinking um, and it's creating a lot of really great new opportunities, um, almost all good. And so for somebody that has a role that's changing, I mean, first and foremost, do your best work. Um, secondly, take the time to create a plan for yourself. Um, I even create a plan for myself um, about once a year today. Uh, I say on one side of my plan, I say, what are 
what are the values and how do you, how do how are you living your values in your role? On the other side of my plan, um, I really kind of put together what's working for me, what's not working for me, what folks do I need to get closer into my circle, um, what um, ideas that haven't I tried that I should, where do I want to go in the next year or two? And so, I mean, really literally create a plan for yourself. It doesn't have to be super in-depth. You can do it in an hour or two hours, but take time learning what it takes to be successful in the new role, who you want to build relationships with, um, and spend some time transitioning into the new role versus diving in too deep, too fast. And so that's kind of number two. I think number three would be build a network of support. Uh, none of us has a role where we can be successful by ourselves. Um, the higher you go, the more people you probably need um, supporting you and your ideas or contributing to um, a contrarian view to um, what you think, because sometimes you have to invite that. The higher you go, people are afraid to give you critical feedback. And so find those who can contribute and make them a part of your extended team and your extended network. And then lastly, measure success. Give other credit, give others credit, and keep developing yourselves and doing the things that you love, and uh, you'll be successful. Thank you, Greg, for your generosity, candor, and insights. I learned more about you, your journey, and the journey we all are on together as we build health for a better world. Well, thank you, Johnny and Leslie, for putting this together. I think it's really incredible. I hope folks got a little bit of value out of it. And to everybody listening, thank you so much for what you're doing to contribute to success within HR, on your teams, um, in our organization at large, and in the communities. Your work really does matter. It makes a difference. And um, in that spirit of gratitude, I'm incredibly grateful for what you're doing. Thanks so much, and enjoy the rest of your day. Join us next time for another insightful conversation on the Future Focus Fridays podcast.